0: My name is Will Witherington. I'm one of the pastors at Tate's Creek at the Rapid Run location. Glad to be with you tonight. Our our scripture reading, as you can see there, is long. It's Isaiah 40. I want to read all of it because uh, you'll see uh, why in a second. When we get to verse 12, you can underline it because that's going to be the passage that I just spend uh, our time with. And and basically what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to bring you into my own meditation on verse 12. And I've meditated on this verse maybe as much as any verse uh, in the Bible. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But, but it falls in the, in the context of a chapter that is just rich of the greatness of God. And so it's important that we read where this verse falls in. So uh, if you're not used to reading this long or it seems like it's going to take us a while, hang in there. It's worth listening to God's word read in its context as we preach it. So, let's listen to Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms, and He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? All the nations are as nothing before him, and they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He, who is too impoverished for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know... Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, and He blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like Him? says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their starry hosts by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of His might and because of His strong power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob? And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask His help as we look at this together. Lord, this passage is extremely powerful. It speaks in ways that we can clearly understand that You are great Incomparable. No one has been your counselor. You did not seek the advice of anyone when you made the world. There is not a nation that stands against you. In fact, the nations are as if they were dust on scales. The inhabitants of the earth are grasshoppers to you, but that does not mean we are insignificant because it says that you are a shepherd who brings us close to your bosom. And so, Lord, in these moments, would you show us the greatness and put us in our place, and then would you rise us up as your sheep and hold us close to your chest? Give us both those graces now, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you can turn over there and and just underline verse 12. That's what I'm going to talk about. But you can see my title is God is great in just a funny uh, anecdote, this morning I preached this sermon down, down at Rapid Run and a little kid came up to me and said, here's my application, and it was beer is good and people are crazy. God is great, beer is good, people are crazy if you know that country song. Uh, it's a great song and it's true. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty clever of that kid. Uh, but let's, let's look at verse 12, let's read it again so we know where we are. This is, this is a, it's, it's asking a question about this great God. He said, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, marked off the heavens with a span, and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? I like this verse because it's in a sense a, 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 a journey up to a high peak to where you get a different perspective. Every couple of summers I go out west to the Teton Mountains and I love to climb up in the mountains and hike and spend days in there. It just is a renewing perspective when you're up against nature, when you see the grandeur of the mountains and you see the the trivialness of your life and you kind of get a reorientation of what really is, is true and right and big and powerful. Mountains do that for me. This is one of those mountaintop verses. It shows us the greatness of God. But this verse falls directly in the center of a large book of Isaiah. And the ESV study Bible says this about the book of Isaiah. The purpose of Isaiah is to declare the good news that God will glorify himself through the renewed and increased glory of his people, which will attract the nations. So Israel's purpose, the people of God here, were to attract the nations by how glorious they lived in reflecting their glorious God. Sadly, that's not how they were living. They were not a glorious people. They were an adulterous people. They were making idols, as we saw, out of silver and gold and chains and wood. They were worshiping the gods of the nations. They were worshiping their comfort and pleasure. And God uses Isaiah to try to shake them up out of that. first 39 chapters is a confrontation of Isaiah to, his, to God's people. They don't listen. And sadly, verse 40 is written to them as they're in captivity under the Babylon the Babylonian Empire which was the nation of Assyria, a a ruthless people. But this transition here in chapter 40 goes from confrontation to encouragement, and you can probably see that reflected. And he ends that chapter by saying that they who wait on the Lord will have a renewed strength. They will mount up like wings with eagles, and they will walk and not faint and run and not be weary. What God is proposing to them is what they need is more of Him. And that's what he intends to give them. So he gives them this verse. Let's take each of these phrases. We're going to see the power of God. We're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see the care of God. And we're going to see the purpose of God. Let's look at the power of God first. Who has has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? If you took your hand like that, you can do it if you're into this kind of uh, visual aid stuff. Uh, This is called the hollow of your hand. Some of you brush your teeth and that's how you get water out of the spigot. I just go right into the spigot, you know. Uh, but that's, some of you when you, you, you hike and you walk by a river, you lap up water with the hollow of your hand. That's what that is, the hollow. This verse says that our God holds the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. The, the earth has 71% water. Our globe is 71% water. Now as I start meditating on this, here's where, here's where my, my mind goes. I think about my experience with water. From Everything from little things like the frustration of trying to get the right water pressure out of my garden hose so I don't kill my plants but I water them. You know, that's a little small thing. Or diving to the bottom of a pool and seeing how far down you can go or at the lake till your ears start to pop. You know, it's 12, 15 feet. That water pressure, though, at 12 or 15 feet, it's kind of like well, we're kind of weak people. We can't even go 12 feet underwater because the pressure of the water is on us. There's so much of it. Or if you've ever been whitewater rafting, the exhilaration of a Class 4 rapid is like nothing else you've experienced. The, 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 the trepidation of you might be knocked out and then you're not and you're, you're through it and the jubilation that happens. Or God forbid you've ever tried to swim in a double red flag uh, at the ocean. Uh, the riptide effect that can just wipe you out in a, in a matter of minutes out into the sea. Or even the things as monumental and horrific as the tsunami several years ago that wiped out 100,000 people in Southeast Asia. Water is incredibly powerful. It can, it can do amazing damage. And this verse says, our God holds that in the hollow of His hand. Amazing power. But then He gives us a second phrase, which is His glory. It says that He has marked off the heavens with a span. The heavens are the Bible's way of saying the galaxies, the universes, the cosmos. And the span is from the tip of your thumb to the edge of your pinky. For the average human, about 10 inches. If you're an NBA player, it's about 15. But for the average human, it's 10 inches. And he says that he's marked off the heavens with a span. Now listen, I I am certainly no quantum physicist, but I can look at Google and I can ask the question, how big is the Milky Way galaxy? And it says that our galaxy alone, just the one we live in, is 100,000 light years long. To the scientists, they, they measure this in parasecs. They like that term better. I don't know what that is, but it's 3.26 light years uh, each. And we have a 30,000 parasec universe. Bottom line, it's huge. One light year is six trillion miles. Now, sort of like the numbers of our national debt, I have no idea what numbers that big are like. Bottom line, it's huge. Six trillion miles in one light year and our galaxy is 100,000 light years. Now this verse says that God has measured that cosmos every 10 inches. If you started right there by that mic stand, or that speaker stand, and you started measuring every 10 inches this room, how well would you know this room? You know that right over there is a spider web. Right over there is a leak in the wall. Right back there is some paint that needs to touch up. Right over there is some carpet that's fraying. I mean, you know this so intimately. And the Bible says that God has that sort of understanding, knowledge about the cosmos. Incredible glory. But then he says, thirdly, that he cares. Why do I say care? Look at what it says here. He says that he enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure literally the Hebrew would be translated he contained dirt in a bowl when I read that my first question was who cares <laughs> I think that's the point God cares he goes from the cosmos to dust he doesn't just care about the big grandeur stuff he cares about dust and he's put it all in a bowl and knows how much there is there Jesus in, in fact went, talked about minutia like that he said even the hairs of your head are numbered. It's like, who cares about the numbers of my head? Well, Jesus cares. He's numbered them. In fact, the Bible speaks of us as coming from dust. We're going to talk about this at the end. You and I come from dust. And I'm glad he cares about dust. He cares about you. He cares about me. This morning I encouraged all the children to go home, and so there's a few that are here. Go home and Go, or go to your apartment. Get your roommate to get a towel and wipe the dust off the top of your refrigerator. And multiply that by 7 billion people. And then take the Sahara Desert and the sands of the seashore and all the dust that comes from that. And you can't even comprehend the amount of dust. And God cares about it to the point that He has measured it and kept it in a bowl. That's what Isaiah describes. He's powerful. He's glorious. He cares. And the last phrase there is he has purpose. He says he weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. And I say purpose here because when you study the, the way mountains and hills are formed, there's two scientific genres, I guess you would say, about how this happens. One is ISO I-S-O-T-A-S-Y, which is basically the study of how the earth the crust of the earth sits on the hot mantle underneath it. Most people think it's kinda like we got crust, it kinda sits like a raft on hard ground. That's not the way the earth crust functions. Aistastasis says that that hard crust that we see and walk on is actually on top of a floating hot mantle that just is moving constantly. Uh, which then leads to the second uh, scientific study called Orogenesis, which Orogeny is actually the study of how mountains are formed. You're like, who cares? It matters because scientists study how the plates move and shift under the crust of the earth forms the mountains that we see as glorious. And the Bible says that this God has weighed those on on scales and put the hills on a balance. So he said, I'm going to put the Himalayas over here because that's where they'll fit in the order of the crust of the earth to keep it balanced. And then I'm going to put the Rockies over here and I'm going to sprinkle the Appalachians right here and I'm going to drop the Red River Gorge kind of right there and it's just going to be this incredible sense of God's rule over the earth because he cares, he has purpose for even the crust of the earth and how it's formed he weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance I love to think about creation like this because it expands my view of God but we can't stop here the Bible doesn't let us. We could we could stand in awe of this verse, but the Bible takes it a step further, and I think we should too. If you have a Bible or you have it on your phone, turn to two Corinthians four six. If you don't, I'll just read it to you. But if you have one, go ahead and look it up. Two Corinthians four six. This is one of those verses you need to see in light of what I just said. All right. So what I just said about Isaiah's view of God in Isaiah forty twelve. God is powerful. God is glorious. He cares. He has purpose listen to how Paul talks about God in 2 Corinthians 4 6 for God who said the God of Isaiah 40 let light light shine out of darkness this God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so yes we should stand in awe at the grandeur of the mountains and the cosmos in the mountains but more glorious than that is the face of his only son. He is the exact representation of his glory. Why a face? Why does Paul tell us it came, Jesus, he uses the word face? Because the face is the most recognizable part and intimate part of a person. I can remember his face, I can't remember his name. How many times have you said that? Because I remember his personhood. When I'm having an intimate moment with my wife, I want to hold her and look her in the face. I want to kiss her lips. I want to see her eyes because that's the most intimate connection that we have as a, as a, in a relationship. When I'm disciplining my children, I say, look at me in the eyes. Look at me in the face. It's disrespectful if they turn their back to me because I need to see their face. The face is the place of relationship. And so God tells us in the New Testament that his place of relationship with you and I is in the face of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And there's a story in Mark 4, to me, that just drives this through the roof of clarity. And you may be familiar with this story. Jesus is about halfway through his ministry, and he's tired from healing and, and doing miracles and preaching and teaching, and he takes a sabbatical, right, Marshall? All right, so he's on a boat, and he's asleep in the back of the boat, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm bigger than any of these fishermen had ever seen. Now, these guys were fishermen. Peter, James, John, Andrew. They had seen these storms before. They weren't worried about a storm. But this night, this storm was epic. To to the degree that they were fearful of their life, they go back and they wake Jesus and they challenge him on his care. Hey, Rabbi, Rabbi, do you not care that we're going to perish by this storm? And the face of God stands up and speaks out loud to wind... waves and rain and says peace be still and at that moment the creation heard the voice of its creator and obeyed and the Bible says that the disciples were afraid of the storm but when Jesus calmed the storm it says they were terrified of Jesus and this is what they said who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Well the answer is He's God of Isaiah 40. He has control over the wind and the waves and the stars and the dust. H2O and wind listened and obeyed their Creator, how much more should we? What we are meant to see in the face of Jesus is not necessarily just His power or His glory or His care or His purpose. We are meant to see the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God demonstrates his love in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the glory of God incarnate. So what do we do with a passage like this? With ideas like this, when your mind is, is raised up to see God in big ways. Well, what I thought I'd do to apply this to ourselves tonight, is I would take water, I would take the heavens, I would take the dust, and I would take the mountains, and I would draw some biblical applications for you. That way you can remember it. Let's take water. First, if you're going to become a Christian, you must go through the waters of baptism. This is what it means. Go. Jesus said, baptize the nations. Part of the being I included into the family of God is to pass through the waters of baptism. Some of you tonight might need to pass through those waters of baptism. And Jesus says this, though, if you have passed through the waters of baptism, which is a sacramental symbol of the washing of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ on the sinner's heart. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So not only are we brought under the waters of baptism, but from us are meant to flow living water. Jesus is meant to flow through us. That's an amazing application. That what I've received as a washing, I'm meant to pass on to others the washing of Jesus. Or what about the heavens? The the cosmos, the starry host, one of the most famous starry, starry nights, if you will, uh, in the Bible, is the night that God gave a covenant promise to Abraham. And the way he gave the covenant promise to Abraham and crystallized it in his mind was to say, go outside, look up to the heavens, and if you can count the stars, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you. So he allowed the stars to be his word picture. So here's an easy application. I've done this on five continents. And some, for, some, for me... Doing this in a foreign land helps crystallize this, but you can do it here, right in here in Lexington. Go outside tonight and look up at the stars and do two things. One, remind yourself that Isaiah said every one of those stars has a name. How much more does God know your name? Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice and I call them by name and they come to me. So when you look at the stars, remember, He named you. He called you. And the second application, look at the stars and ask God to fulfill that covenantal promise through your life like He did to Abraham. You and I are meant to be a fulfillment of that covenant promise. What about the dust? What about an application for dust? This one's not quite as um, glamorous because the Bible says... That you are dust and to dust you will go back but actually those are two of the most comforting things because one you're dust so don't think so highly of yourself <laughs> it's God who fashioned you and formed you God made you fearfully and wonderfully but you are just dust it's God who's glorious and is creating so give glory to God you didn't make yourself you didn't establish the boundaries of your existence you didn't decide to live in Lexington Kentucky God did you're just dust. So cheer up, you're just dust. And cheer up even more, you're headed back to dust. From dust you've come to dust you'll return. That's good news too because death is just a passageway into eternal life. So, as the famous theologian Tim McGraw says, live like you were dying. (laughs) I'm on a country music roll tonight. Live like you were dying. It's actually great advice because when you realize I'm going to die, that changes the way I use my money, it changes the way I build relationships, it changes the way I use my time. It changes the way I choose to talk and what I choose to watch because I'm going back to dust and God's going to raise me up that day to a resurrected body. So cheer up your dust and you're headed to dust. And then lastly, what about mountains? Mountains are these huge protrusions that come out of the earth and are full of power and grandeur. But Jesus said this in Matthew 17, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. He doesn't say nothing will be impossible for me. He says nothing will be impossible for you. You can move a mountain. What mountains are you asking God to remove The unbelief of a child. The barrier of bitterness in a relationship. The gaping wound of an abuser. Discontentment. Financial stress. Brokenness in your marriage. The uncertainty of a future. I know you've got mountains. I've got them. God intends for us to move them through faith. Isaiah says that God weighs the mountains on a scale, which means he is fully capable of moving them from your life. I love the fact that God condescends to me to give me pictures like this he knows I'm frail he knows I need to see him in a way of that I can understand because he's unsearchable his ways are inscrutable and there's a certain weightiness to seeing God this way isn't there there's a, there's a certain weightiness to this not in a heavy way but in a cont- cont- contemplative important serious that means my life ought to reflect a God of this magnitude And I'll close with this quote. This comes from another scientist who was reflecting on his relationship with Albert Einstein. and He said this, I do see the design of the universe as essentially a religious question. That is, one should have some kind of respect and awe for the whole business. It is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that's why Einstein had so little use for organized religion. He must have looked at what the Christians were saying about God and felt they were blaspheming. He had seen more majesty than they had ever imagined or spoke about. And they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that religions he'd run across did not have a proper respect for the author of the universe. May that never be true of us. May we live lives that testify to the greatness and goodness of God because the face of God has come and redeemed us to live lives with that sort of power. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for its power. And I pray now as we come to this table that is the face of God, Jesus Christ himself, bringing us into fellowship with you, and with each other. Lord, this is a powerful meal, and I pray that in these moments our eyes would be lifted off of the trials and struggles that we're having in life right now, and that we would come to you with full faith. Help our unbelief, Lord. Help us to believe you tonight that you are great, indeed the greatest of the great. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.